Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is November 28th, and Pastor Brad Blakely brings us a message on the importance of hope this Christmas season. Let's take a listen. But we're starting a new series called The Christmas Spirit this year, or this week, uh, and we are jumping into this Christmas season. And I want to ask you a question as we get started with that title, The Christmas Spirit. When you hear that phrase, The Christmas Spirit, what comes to your mind? What kind of things come to your mind when you uh, hear that phrase, um, the Christmas spirit? Maybe for you, uh, it's like that idea like, ah, oh, I want to get into the Christmas spirit or I don't like the Christmas spirit. Maybe you are a bah humbug, I don't know. Um, maybe for you, the Christmas spirit is lights and decoration and, and looking forward to family gathering. Obviously, the birth of Jesus is part of this Christmas season. It is the Christmas season, right? But, but we know there's a lot along with that. And so um, the, the Christmas spirit for each of us might mean slightly different things. Um, for some of you, it might just mean certain movies and that watching a movie uh, like embodies the Christmas spirit. I know for my good friend, Eddie, uh, who was the founding pastor of our church, he had an office right next to mine and didn't matter every year, right after Thanksgiving, he started playing It's a Wonderful Life on a loop in his office every day. And it would just go on and on and on. And so whenever I went into his office to get something or whatever, it was another scene of, you know, George Bailey in Bedford Falls and, you know, Mr. Potter, right? And all of the rest. And so for me, you know, It's a Wonderful Life has become associated with the Christmas spirit, you know, and, and the life of George Bailey. And so I don't know if the picture kind of reminds you of the Christmas spirit. I was asking my daughter, I was like, hey, what's the Christmas spirit? And she goes, Elf, of course, right? <laughs> How many of you guys are Elf fans, right? That gets you into the Christmas spirit, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah life, times have changed. Now it's Elf, right? But you know, for a lot of us, um, honestly, you know, we, we not, not realize this, but uh, Charles Dickens, his, his novel, uh, which turned into a stage play and a movie, obviously, A Christmas Carol, has dramatically shaped what we think of in our culture as far as Christmas spirit goes. Um, when Charles Dickens was younger, he, he grew up in the, in the 19th century in, in England and his dad was very poor. In fact, wasn't a very good manager of, of the family finances. And his dad, when he was 12 years old, was thrown into a debtor's prison. And Charles Dickens had to work in a shoe factory as a little child, 12 years old. And so a lot of the themes from A Christmas Carol come from his firsthand experiences um, you know, icons like Tiny Tim and, uh, you know, Bob Cratchit and of course, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And so um, as you, as you know, Evan already mentioned, but that movie has shaped a lot of what we think about when we think about the Christmas spirit, uh, being generous, uh, caring for our fellow man. Um, but he actually popularized the greeting, Merry Christmas and Bah Humbug. And of course, not to be a Scrooge. In England in that time period, England, uh, uh, Christmas wasn't even a big holiday. Uh, the biggest holiday uh, in England was Easter followed by Boxing Day, right? And so it's because of him and some other writers and some other things that really shaped Christmas into what we see it today in our culture. Uh, and I'm glad, I mean, I love Christmas. I'm glad that Dickens popularized it. Um, but what we're gonna talk about in this series is not the ghost of Christmas past, present or future, we're talking about a different kind of spirit. 
in this series. We're talking about the Christmas spirit as seen in the pages of scripture. And as we think about this series, as I was getting the team together and talking about this Christmas series, I was thinking, I was like, you know, guys, we need to take the scripture and help our church in a time that's difficult. Because I think a lot of us don't have any stomach for the Christmas spirit. In fact, I think a lot of us, the people I've talked to, they, they just feel kind of depressed. Life has been difficult the last couple of years. Everything from you know, supply chain shortages to new variants of the COVID virus to the way it's changed our world. Work has changed. Um, mandates from the government, vaccines have divided us. Political parties divide us already. Uh, we've just been th through so much in the last couple of years that I think that it's really tempting to just kind of, kind of surrender to the, the spirit of the age, this kind of depression or this kind of sadness that's kind of settled over our culture. I was talking to my wife about this and I was like, you know, I, I really feel like it's almost like our culture has gone through the stages of grief together. And even though these aren't linear stages, think about them, right? You have denial, you have isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I mean, I, I feel like people I've talked to in, in my own self, I've gone through these bounced back and forth in and out, you know, at first kind of denying it's even happening and then going through that whole process. But many people I've talked to, I think they're just in that stage of depression. They're not at acceptance. And they just feel like, man, I don't think life's really gonna be better. We're, we're living in a new world. Um, of, of I can't travel unless I'm vaccinated. And some folks really have strong opinions about that. And others just don't like the idea of the government telling me what to do. And so as I'm thinking about kind of where our culture is, and I'm thinking about this Christmas story, and I'm thinking, you know, friends, maybe you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you are. Maybe you're a faithful member of this community, of this church community. I wanna to talk to all of us today. And I wanna say this. There is reason for hope that's found in the pages of the Christmas story. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. And if you don't know the Christmas story, we're gonna go, go through that. There is a spirit that is on the move that whenever the spirit moves, life follows. He breathes life into darkness. And we're gonna study that this morning. Come on, somebody. Come on, we're gonna do that. In fact, I'm gonna take us over the next four weeks through the way the spirit of Christmas, the Holy Spirit, moves in the pages of scripture in the characters that we read about. And that breathes hope and life into our life today. I wanna to think about this. You, you know the story of young Mary, this girl who we're gonna meet here in a second. But you think about how difficult our lives have been, right? With COVID and the changes at work and the loved ones who've been sick and those who died. And you look at the pages of scripture and you think of what it would have been like to be under Rome's thumb to have mandates coming down from Caesar who could care less about any of you, right? And, and who decides it's time to be taxed and you have to ta be taxed and be moved and go, go across the country to the place of your lineage and all the rest that the story tells us about. I think this, this happened last service too. So you guys are in for a treat. The mic just shuts right off. So I have to scream loud now. So that's okay. Um, the enemies at work, but our God is stronger, right guys? Okay. <laughs> we are going to look at the hope of Christmas and we're going to hope the mic comes back on, but it, if it doesn't, it's all right. But uh, let's look at these pages in, in Luke chapter one. <laughs> and here, here we go. 
It says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. There it is. Right. <clears throat> Save my voice. Um, so I want to point out just a couple of things here. We'll learn about Elizabeth and who she is in a minute. But God sends an angel to this town, Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a small backwater place. It's in the northern part of the country in Galilee, far from the, the, the sea of power or prestige, the, metro, the met, metropolitan area of, of Jerusalem. And Nazareth has about five to 700 people in it, 800 at the most at that time in history. Most people who live in Nazareth are just subsistence farmers. They have a couple of animals. They have a little garden. Most of them are just uh, workers. You know, as we know, Jesus grows up as a carpenter under, in Joseph's home. If you didn't know that, that's part of that. There's a, there's a bustling city that's being built about six kilometers away, Sephoris. It's a Greek city uh, where the Romans and Greek would live. Would live. Uh, this is a Jewish town though, Gal, uh, little Nazareth. And so some of the people who live in Nazareth will walk that five miles to Sephora to work in the city as it's being constructed, a giant amphitheater. Some people even believe Jesus might've worked there as a young boy growing up. And so that's what's happened. It's a small town. It's not important. It's off the map. It's just really kind of out of the way. And so this angel meets this a virgin that's named Mary and she's betrothed to Joseph and the only thing significant here is that he is a descendant of David. Now that would have been significant uh, to have someone who lives in your little town whose great, great, great ancestor is King David would have been significant, but we, we know nothing of, of Joseph himself having any means or notoriety. Uh, he has that to his name, that his ancestor is David, but D Joseph himself isn't a man of wealth that we know of at all. So it's kind of a poor peasant kind of, client, community. And so the angel meets Mary. We know she's of meritable age that puts her somewhere between 14 and 19 years old, somewhere in that range, probably on the lower end. She's engaged to Joseph. And here's what the, the angel says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, this is what's interesting. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What's interesting here is that the, appearance, the sudden appearance of an angel isn't what troubles Mary. What's troubling to Mary is what he says to her, how he addresses her. Because Mary sees herself as who she is, this woman, this girl who's on the lower end of the social ladder, right? She's, she's from a town that no one cares about and she's a peasant and she's a woman. I mean, there's so many reasons where her own estimation of herself is nobody special. And yet this angel greets her with a superlative of royalty, almost treating her as if she's royalty. She's, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Man, sometimes friends, we don't see ourselves as highly favored. We don't see ourselves as the Lord is with us. We see ourselves the way culture sees us, the way maybe our parents saw us or people in our past. And, and the image we have of ourselves isn't quite what God sees when he sees you. Come on, he sees you and he says, you're highly favored. Man, I love you. I've been sent for you. We don't personalize this enough, friends. We really don't. 
And so Mary is surprised at this greeting. Continue on. <laughs> the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him na his name Jesus, which means savior. Goes on there. <clears throat> and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Let's go. His kingdom will never end. Let's all say that together. Never end. Now this is Mary. And she's got this incredible greeting from this angel. He's greeting her with a superlative that is beyond her status, right? She's kind of taken back by that. And that's, that greeting is followed up with a promise that's hardly imaginable. I want you to picture this peasant girl from a nowhere place being suddenly greeted by this powerful angelic being and told that she will have a son and not just any son, but the son that is the sum, the sum total of the hopes of Israel. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one whose kingdom will never end. And if you were a Jew in that period in history, you were well, well rehearsed in the prophets of the Old Testament telling you about the kingdom that will one day come. God, the day of the Lord, the one we look for when finally oppression will cease, finally peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what she's being told here. Well, this is shocking to her, right? As it would be to any of us in the same place. Verse 34, it says this, Mary says, how will this be? <laughs> Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Now, this is not a question coming from a heart of unbelief. This is a question just coming out of a shock, out of a shocked heart. Like, how does this happen? I'm not married, I'm a virgin. How am I gonna have this son? How is this gonna happen? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, things change. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, new births take place. This is, this is a, a powerful moment in the story. And this is where we actually get our title for our series, The Christmas Spirit, because the Christmas Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon Mary. The, power, the Bible says the power of the Most High is gonna overshadow her so that the Holy One that will be born will be called the Son of God. So I want you to picture this for a second. Here's Mary, she's being told of this Holy Spirit that's gonna overshadow her, that's gonna come upon her. And if you're a Bible student, you, you, you need to make a, a link in scripture to another moment in Israel's past or in the, in the scripture's narrative of the Holy Spirit overshadowing. This links back to Genesis chapter one. Look at Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. I want you to try to connect these two narratives. Luke is making a connection. The world is dark. Rome is ruling. It is a darkness over the land. There is no hope for Israel, right? They are just, every time they try to get a, a rebel leader to do something, Rome crushes that rebellion. This is, this is the exile of Israel. They are in need of ransom. 
And so this is a, an interesting parallel in scripture that it's, it's the dark chaotic waters that the spirit's hovering over. But check this out. The spirit of God hovers over these waters. And here's this connection we make. In Genesis one, we see the, the Ruach, the spirit of God hovering over the waters. The same spirit that will in a few verses later in Genesis, breathe life into the first humans. The same spirit that breathes life into our lungs, hovering over the chaotic waters is gonna be the same spirit that's gonna overshadow Mary. And here's our connection, check this out. Old creation was created when the spirit was hovering and Jesus, he, he, who is he? He's the firstborn of what? New creation. The same spirit that breathed life into this dark world and created everything we see is now gonna breathe life into Mary and new creation will be born through her. This is a powerful parallel in scripture. Anyone else think that's cool? I think that's way cool, right? The spirit is on the move. Here's, here's our point. The spirit of God breathes life. I, 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 just, need to, I just need to look at you and, and grab you by the shoulders, look at you in the, in the face. Say, I do not know what you're facing. I don't know what has happened at your job or in your family. I don't know how COVID or maybe personal trauma or whatever's happened, I, I, I know. Sometimes it looks like the world is chaotic and dark and formless. You feel like you're a captive in, Israel, uh, in Rome, but I wanna remind you of the Christmas story here. The spirit of God breathes life. I have no way of predicting and neither do you when the next move of the spirit's gonna come, but I know that he moves. Come on someone, I know he moves. And I know he has moved in the past and he's moving in the present. And I don't know exactly how the future is gonna play itself out, but here's what I know. Wherever the spirit of God is on the move, life follows. That's what we have hope for when we look at this Christmas story. Look at um, the next part of this. Go, go to the next one for me. The, the, the angel gives Mary a little insight into something she is unaware of. Remember, the angel has just told her about miraculous things that are about to happen to her and through her. And so he says, even Elizabeth, this is almost a little evidence for Mary. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So Mary is well aware of this, of this story she's, she's being told about. She knows Elizabeth well. She knows her story well. She knows that Elizabeth is married to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is a priest. They live down in Jerusalem or near Jerusalem. She knows that Elizabeth's dad was a priest. So here we have Elizabeth whose dad was a priest, who's married to a priest. She's walked with God for all of her life, but there's one thing about her that's been really sad. And it's this idea, this, this fact about her that she could never have children. And so Mary's very familiar with Elizabeth's story. And so the angel says, look, I know what I'm telling you is hard to believe. I know I'm telling you to believe some things that, that, that stretch the imagination, but I'm telling you something, this is gonna happen. And it's already started happening. You know, sometimes when we need to believe there's a miracle possible, in our lives, we have to look at the miracles that have already happened. And I think sometimes the enemy wants us to not think about the, the good things that have already taken place, the motion that's already been set in, in, the, in, the, in the motion in our life. 
because God's already on the move. And so the angel is letting her know that God has already started a chain of events that is gonna change this world and that her relative Elizabeth is with child in her old age. Well, what does Mary say? She says these words. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now I wanna point out something she's saying here. Two things. First, I wanna look at the last phrase. May your word to me be fulfilled. What Mary is basically saying is, I'm agreeing to this, and we're gonna look at that in a second. I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord, but not only am I agreeing to this, I'm gonna make a choice. And this is the same choice I want us to make. I'm making a choice to believe that the good things that you just said were gonna happen, are gonna happen. I wanna remind us this morning that hope is a decision. Hope is a choice. You see, we make choices every day and the choices we make determine the direction of our life. It just happens. Sometimes it's unconscious choice. Sometimes it's a choice to just kind of follow the, the grain of, of society and the mold of society, right? Or sometimes we say, wait a second, I'm gonna make a different choice, right? I love if you guys watch the, uh, the Chosen video, the Chosen movies, I love the beginning credits, you know, and all the fish are swimming in the, rain, the one direction, you guys know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden some of the fish turn around and swim the other way. Well, we, we are among those who are swimming the other way. We hear the call of our shepherd and we, we go that way, right? And so there's a decision that Mary makes and the decision is to have hope in this prophetic word. I wanna write this down if you're taking notes. Hope is the decision to believe that good is ahead. You're not gonna get that from the nightly news or from your newsfeed on your phone. You're not gonna get, hey guys, there's good things ahead. Like that doesn't sell clicks on, the, on, the, on your webpage, right? The, the only thing that gets you to click is bad news. Like, oh my gosh, what's that about, right? Like that's how we're wired as humans. We're worried about threats. And so we're gonna look at those. But this idea that there's reasons to believe good is ahead, this idea to believe in hope kind of goes against the world system. But I wanna tell you, if you're a believer in here, we should be people of hope. We should be people that no matter what the news is saying or what the boss is saying or whatever the doctor is saying, just, listen, I still have reason to believe good is ahead. this reminds us of the critical necessity of you and I putting our yes on the table. You know, friends, no one changes the world until they say yes to God's vision. No one has a, a life that changes the world that is full of meaning and purpose until they put their yes on the table. Let me say this, a yes to God changes everything. A yes to God changes everything. What is, what is it that God is challenging you to say yes to? I don't know. I know what you, God was challenging Mary to say yes to. This, this, this would change the course of her life and everyone else, right? But when God came to Mary through Gabriel, that messenger, and told her what his plans were, it was, he was waiting for that yes. God could act unilaterally. You know, God could just decide I'm gonna do things in this world but there's something about the character and nature of God that he wants a covenant partner with us. He doesn't just wanna act you know, in spite of us, he wants to act with us in his redemptive message and mission for this world. And so it starts with this yes. 
And so let's move the story along. So Mary has put her yes on the table. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. She's gonna believe in the hope of these good things the angels promised to her. And so uh, the next thing that happens in our story is Mary does something. She, she takes an action step. Now, the angel didn't tell her to do this, but what she does next makes a lot of sense. If you're a young girl that's unmarried and you're, you know you're about to have an untimely pregnancy and you're in a little town, there's gonna be a little scandal with that. So Mary was told about her relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. And so Mary, um, I think she just takes that as I need to go down there. I mean, that's a word from the Lord. I'm gonna go down and spend some time with, with Elizabeth. And so there's about an 80 mile trip here. Here's what happens. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea. She takes that about 80 mile trip where she entered Zacharias' home and greeted Elizabeth. Check this out. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. So Mary, she said, hey, I'm here. You know, it was a surprise. I'm sure she didn't call on the phone. You know, it's a kind of a surprise visit, right? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her, remember she's six months along with this miraculous pregnancy of her own. The baby leaps in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. There's the Christmas spirit again, filling Elizabeth. Notice what she says, check this out. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. Isn't that an interesting parallel to what Gabriel says to her, right? Remember he greets her with this superlative greeting that doesn't fit her status. Here's Mary walking in, you know, obviously she's not showing yet. There's no, there's no indication she has a baby in utero and she walks in a surprise visit. Elizabeth filled with the spirit, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. And then she goes on, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's a little bit of a hint about this, this child that Elizabeth carries, which is John the Baptist. He will be so filled with the spirit, even as an unborn baby, he's able to recognize God's movement in this world. That's powerful stuff. And so the baby inside is leaping for joy that Mary and the little embryo Jesus has come into the house. And this verse 45, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. You know, that's a powerful, that's a powerful statement that I could turn into a question. Elizabeth sees Mary and calls her blessed. Why is she blessed? Because she believed. Mary chose to have that hope in the promises of God and that blessed her. And that blessed every one of us sitting here this, this morning. That's a powerful question that we need to turn to our, our own self and say, you know, am I someone who believes the promises of God to me? Am I someone who believes in hope? Or do I, again, do I just consume what the media is telling me or whatever, what the water cooler conversations that work are telling me about how the world's going you know, to hell and all that stuff? Or am I gonna say, listen, what's new? Are you surprised that the world is falling apart? That doesn't shock me because nothing about this world's eternal, but I got a message for you. I know a king who's coming 
who's got an eternal kingdom. Come on, somebody, right? And when that king comes, he's gonna right every wrong. Every injustice will be corrected and every disease will be defeated because the king of kings and the, and the Lord of lords will be landed forever on this planet. And that'll be the kingdom I'm waiting for. I'm getting ahead of myself in my sermon, but you know where I'm going, right? So, so this is what Elizabeth says to Mary. I, and, I'm, and I had a thought about that. I want us just to put ourselves in Mary's shoes for a second. She's young. We don't know her age, but let's say she's 15. She's this young girl. She's made an 80-mile trip to visit Elizabeth. She's heard some crazy prophecy about her own life and about Elizabeth's. And she comes in, and I just wonder, I just wonder if those words from that older lady just breathed the life into Mary's heart. I just wonder if, you know, because sometimes we can kind of like make these people into superheroes like they're not human. I mean, if you're Mary, you're scared. If you're Mary, you know that saying yes to this calling is gonna mean a whole lot of things for you. It could throw your potential marriage into jeopardy. It's gonna ruin your reputation. I mean, we, all that stuff. She comes to Elizabeth's house. It's safe. It's safe in the house of Elizabeth. It's nurturing in the house of Elizabeth. It's life-giving in the house of Elizabeth. I, I wanna say this, and I, I hope this, this is okay to say, I think that in some ways, Elizabeth, Elizabeth acted as Mary's midwife. She didn't help deliver baby Jesus, but she helped deliver this call that Mary needed. I think at that moment, it's tough, it's difficult. And right there, there's the older, wiser, Elizabeth, to confirm the calling of this young girl. Let me ask you, who do you have in your life confirming your calling? Who do you have in your life shepherding you and pouring life into you and telling you all those things you need to hear to counter the lies of the enemy that are whispering those, those deceptions in your heart that tell you you're not good enough? We need an Elizabeth in our life. We need someone that's gonna breathe life into us to take this journey. Guys, we need others. I've said this like every time we preach, me and Mike, we say this, guys, the church more than ever needs connection and community. The enemy is picking us off one by one the more we stay isolated, right? We have to be together. And Elizabeth, or Mary knew that, I think instinctively, I need an Elizabeth in my life. And she was there. Well, what's the next part of our story? And this is where we're gonna end today. Mary bursts out into song. It's kind of, you didn't know this, but the, uh, the gospel of Luke is a little bit of a musical here, right? Just bursts into song, right? It's kind of like, wow. Uh, and so she bursts into song here. And this is called the Song of Mary or, the, or Mary's Magnificat, coming from the, from, the, from the Latin, actually. And I wanna, I wanna look at this song as we end today, but we're gonna take special note of the verbs. I'm not gonna try to be too much of a grammarian here, but this is important. These are aorist tensed verbs. These are future tensed verbs in the Greek. And why this is important is, and you'll see this in the song, it's as if when Mary sings about what's happening to her, she has so much faith, she's singing as if the victory has already occurred. Let's check this out. Look at this. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now I want you to read with me when I have it in yellow, okay? So that'll help us emphasize these verbs. For he has been 
mindful of the humble state of a, of a servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Remember, Mary's got an embryonic baby in her womb. The mighty one hasn't done anything yet, right? Jesus hasn't delivered anybody yet, but she's claiming it, it's already done. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their, their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. Again, none of this has happened yet for Mary. Rome is still in charge. The proud are still controlling things. The mighty have not been thrown down yet. But Mary in her prophetic song is singing. She's so assured of the things to come. She brings those into her present state. Let me tell you something about hope. Hope is the powerful virtue of taking tomorrow's victories and bringing them into today's difficulties. You need that friends. We need that friends. We're gonna take tomorrow's victories and we're gonna bring them into today's difficulties. That's what hope does. Let's read the rest of this. She, said, she says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is a powerful song of hope. Mary's teaching us how Christians should have hope. She's modeling for us what a disciple that's committed to the kingdom of God should live like. I love what C.S. Lewis says about the, the virtue of hope. He says this in Mere Christianity, hope is a continual looking forward to the eternal world. Notice this, one of the things a Christian was meant to do. That's why when I'm down, when I'm letting the news or the politicians or whatever make me feel like what's going on, what's wrong with this world? I'm not walking in the hope I should be walking in. I have to have a continual looking forward to the eternal world. It's like, yeah, I know this is difficult. Yeah, I'm not, I, this is not me putting my head in the sand. This is not me saying, well, I guess, you know, the world's ending. Listen, he goes on to say, Lewis goes on to say, it's the people who are most consumed with the next world that change this world the most. Because we're able to say, listen, I'm not letting this world dictate who I am. I'm not letting this world dictate what I believe because I believe this world is passing away, but there's coming someone who's gonna change it all and he's already came once. Lewis goes on and he says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. If you have become a Jesus follower, then you are a member of a, true, of, of a, of a different country, a heavenly country. Not the promise of Christianity is not to fly away one day to go to outer space and something. The promise of Christianity is that God is gonna reclaim what is rightfully his. Come on, man. God is not turning this world over to the devil or something. That's not the biblical story at all. God is like, I am gonna reclaim what was lost. I'm gonna redeem it in the most rid ridiculously unexpected way possible. I'm gonna become a human I'm gonna take on human sin. I'm gonna take on human suffering. I'm gonna lay it all on the cross. And by paying for it all on the cross, I'm gonna get what was mine once and I'm gonna reclaim it. And I'm gonna use the human race 
to start this amazing kingdom of God one by one as humans bow their knee to King Jesus, as we tell each other the good news about Christ. That's the powerful message of the scripture. I wanna show you one more thing about Mary's song as we wrap up, which I think is incredible. Mary, Mary's song, as powerful as it is, isn't actually completely original to her. When Mary starts to sing her song, Luke is pulling into this story one more connection to the Old Testament. There's another young lady who sings after a miraculous birth in the Old Testament, and her name is Hannah. If you don't know who Hannah is or you don't know her story, Hannah couldn't have children either, just like Elizabeth. And she had prayed and this, led, this infertility led her to some desperate places in her life. And she was praying and she said to God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I'm not gonna tell you the whole story, but God gives her a child. His name is Samuel. Samuel becomes the greatest prophet in Israel's history. And he anoints the first two kings of Israel, he, he anoints Saul and he anoints David. I wanna read a little bit of Hannah's song. You'll see the connection to Mary. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My, the, in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. The, my mouth boasts over my enemies. There's that same kind of God is gonna do something. He's gonna take the high and lower them. He says, for I delight in your deliverance. There's no, no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, what is she singing? In Hannah's song lies the ache of all of us an ache for justice, an ache for a leader that judges fairly, an ache for peace on earth. Hannah believed that it would come through one of Israel's kings. Now, if you're a Jew, here's what you know. The first king that Hannah's son anointed, his name was Saul and he failed. The second king that Hannah's son anointed his name was David. He was a great king, but he failed. Here's what's really cool. Hannah's song anticipates a great king. Come on, somebody, come on now. A king that will bring justice on the earth and that will end disease and suffering. Hannah's song meets its conclusion in Mary's song. It's not gonna be the sons of Hannah. It'll be the son of Mary, the real king of Israel, who doesn't just want Israel as his people, but is extending that to the whole world, to anyone who will believe. For Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life in the eternal son who sets up an eternal kingdom. You see, in this world, all we get are glimpses. Glimpses of what God is gonna do, just glimpses. Hannah got a glimpse of it. Her son, it was a miraculous birth, right? And her son anointed a king, but it was just a glimpse of what God was doing. Mary, she gets a glimpse of it. She gets a glimpse of what God is doing. She, in her virgin womb, is now giving birth to this 
king of kings. But even there in the Jesus story, it ends on a cross and a resurrection and confusion for the disciples, right? It's what is God doing? We get glimpses of God's movement. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11, reflecting on all the story of the biblical narrative. These people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them, I love this. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. See, that's what it means to live by faith and hope, to see the promises and welcome them from a distance, to know the same God that was faithful back here, that's made promises here, is gonna fulfill them over there and I'm gonna welcome them at a distance. That's what it means to live this Christian life. That's how Christians can look at a world that seems like it's going crazy and say, look, that isn't the final story. There is more ahead. There is a reason for hope. And so here's the Christmas message today. In surrendering to the Christmas spirit, we are choosing hope. Who's with me? Who's with me today? <laughs> Friends, we're not letting a new variant of the, of the COVID virus take away our hope. My hope isn't in that stuff. My hope's in Jesus. You know, right now I wanna end today's service. We're gonna end in two ways. We're gonna end uh, in a minute with communion. But before we do, I want you just right where you are, just to kind of close your eyes. And I wanna ask you a question. The question I wanna ask you is where in your life do you need the spirit of hope? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your job? Is it in an illness, a, a diagnosis? Is it in a, an ache? Is it in a life that seems like has been so disrupted you can barely recognize it and you're struggling to find hope? I know people, I've talked to people who were at one place in their career before COVID and after COVID, they're in a whole different place. They don't like their jobs anymore. They put so much investment in that and it seems gone. I don't know where you need the hope of Jesus, but can I just remind you that maybe something like COVID or something else in your life, maybe instead of taking all your hope away, all it's done is given you an opportunity to refocus your hope away from a job or a relationship and onto Jesus. Maybe, maybe we've allowed other things to really become the most important in our life. And that's shame on us. And we're gonna let the Lord correct us and turn our hearts and our minds back to Jesus. Where do you need hope today? Father, God, would you just, would you breathe life into our darkness? God, right now, would you remind us that the people who change the world are the people who are in cooperation with you, who don't live for the values of this world, but instead truly say, I am the servant of the Lord. I do what you ask. I am who you want me to be. I'll, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. God, can we be a church of, of believers who live that way? God, I pray that in Jesus' name. If you have some things in your life that you just need hope, you need some prayer after service, we're gonna have people up here that would love to pray with you.